0: Hi, I'm Drew Beebe, the host of a new podcast from CNN called Great Big Story. It's a show about the curious side of the human experience. And I know that sounds like a lofty idea, but hear me out. Over the course of this show, we'll talk to some of the most interesting people you've ever met, from brilliant code breakers to a couple building their own artificial island. If you're itching for a good story and you're curious like I am, well, I think you might like this show. Give us a listen wherever you get your favorite podcasts.
1: Good evening, we have breaking news tonight. Twitter has begun putting fact-checking labels on some of the president's tweets. And Joe Biden has weighed in on the president taking jabs at him for wearing a mask. We'll have more on that shortly. We begin with the hardest fact that we know. Sometime tonight, or perhaps tomorrow at the current rate, deaths from coronavirus in this country will reach and surpass 100,000. One family's tragedy, one spouse's loss, one friend's absence, not 10 times, or even 1,000 times 10 It is one life lost and everything that means times 100,000. Yet even as we grapple with that and we show you the faces of those who died, we want to focus especially tonight on the notion of this moment as a turning point when things could go either way. Looking at the moving average of new cases nationwide over the last two weeks, you can see it's barely changed, holding steady at about 20,000. Yet while as that line stays flat, thankfully, states and localities across the country have been lifting outbreak-related restrictions. And this holiday weekend, we saw not every place, but in many places the almost total collapse of social distancing, which is troubling to the experts, including at the World Health Organization, who see this moment as a potential turn for the worse, toward a second peak in a first wave that is still hitting. Not a second uh, second wave, it's a second peak. Others, others, the president included, are touting this as a turning point toward a re- reopened country. And for a moment, let's just assume that he's right and ask, what does presidential leadership look like at such a time? So that when everyone hopes what everyone hopes is a return to some kind of normality doesn't unleash a new wave of disease. What kind of things should a president be doing and saying? What kind of behavior should he be modeling? How should he be helping the country get through the loss of 100,000 American lives in just a matter of months? Well, tonight, he once again mocked the man running against him, former Vice President Biden, for wearing a mask in public.
2: Biden can
3: wear a mask, but he was standing uh, outside with his wife, perfect conditions, perfect weather. They're inside, they don't wear masks. And so I thought it was very unusual that he had one on, but I thought that was fine. I wasn't criticizing him at all. Why would I ever do a thing like that?
1: CNN's Dana, uh, Dana Bash spoke with Vice President Biden and joins us shortly with his response to that. But the president asks a very good question, considering the governors, Republicans, as well as Democrats have been asking, telling and sometimes emotionally begging people to do just that, to wear masks.
4: If someone is wearing a mask, uh, they're not doing it to represent what political party they're in or what candidates they support. They might be doing it because they've got a five-year-old child who's, who's been going through cancer treatments. They, m- they might have vulnerable adults in their life uh, who, are, who are currently up COVID and are fighting. This is a, uh, I would say, senseless uh, dividing line, uh, and, it, and I would ask people to uh, try to dial up your empathy and your understanding.
1: Think about those two words, empathy and understanding. Those are qualities that have never carried partisan labels before, and they shouldn't. In any case, asking people to cover their faces in public isn't or shouldn't even be up for discussion. Just ask some of the, top, the president's own top advisors. Listen. As the country begins to reopen, don't forget to wear a cloth face covering when in public.
5: We have the scientific evidence of how important mask wearing is. Go out,
6: wear a mask, stay
5: six feet away from anyone. A mask does prevent droplets from reaching others. As long as you're not in
6: a crowd and you're not in a situation where you can physically transmit the virus, and that's what a mask is for. Remember,
3: I wear my face covering to protect you, and you wear yours to protect me.
5: And out of respect for each other, as Americans that care for each other, we need to be wearing masks in public when we cannot social
7: distance. We're all in this together. Just think about what Dr.
1: Burke said there, out of respect for each other, out of care for each other. And yet the president of the United States, the leader of this country, whose own coronavirus task force is recommending and pleading and urging that people wear masks when they can't social distance outside. The president himself is undercutting that message, not just by not wearing a mask himself, but by mocking Vice President Biden for wearing a mask. That's what he's doing. He's mocking the idea of wearing a mask, and he has the gall to do that when all the people around him, they're forced to wear masks. He doesn't, so he can appear on camera without a mask, but he can only do that because all the people around him, all the people who work in the White House, who don't have the access to a constant doctor like he does, they wear masks to protect the president. The president does not do that for anybody else. As we've been seeing over the holiday, people are following the president's example, and that is the saddest thing of all. The president says he doesn't understand why Vice President Biden would be outside wearing a mask because what the president does and what the person who wants to be president does actually matters to people. It actually has an impact. People actually follow what the president does. It's amazing that people follow still what this president does after all he has said and all the lies he's told and all the irresponsible things he's done. But so be it. But he should know that and he should respect the fact that he is president and that people look up to him and follow him and he is doing something that is endangering other people's lives. That is just the basic truth. And that's what leadership looks like today, if you can call it that. Leadership today also apparently consists of spreading vile conspiracy theories on Twitter about the death of a former staffer for then-Congressman Joe Scarborough and doing it over and over again, traumatizing her family and her husband so deeply that he wrote to Twitter begging the company to take down... The president's tweets because they're not true about his wife.
8: The woman who died, who you're suggesting that Joe Scarborough was responsible?
3: Yeah, a lot of people suggest that. And uh, hopefully someday people are going to find out. Uh, certainly a very suspicious situation, very sad. Very sad and very suspicious. Uh, question, please?
8: i asked you not to tweet, tweet go ahead, about please it anymore. Go. Sir.
7: Mr. President, though, have you seen the letter that was written uh, by her husband begging Twitter to, to delete your tweets, talking about how hard it's been for his family, for him yeah, to I deal have, with that? Yeah,
3: but I'm sure that ultimately they want to get to the bottom of it, and it's a very serious situation. As you know, there's no statute of limitations, so it would be a very good, uh, very good thing to do.
1: What a little man. He's just a little man. He's the leader of the free world, and he is a little, little man, a self-proclaimed wartime leader, a leader in the midst, he says, of a transition to greatness for the country, spreading falsehoods about a dead woman, despite the pain and the pleas of her husband and the family. He doesn't even have the guts to say he doesn't care about what they think. No, no, he doesn't have the guts to say, you know what, I don't care what they think because this serves my political purposes. That's why he's doing it. He doesn't have the guts to say that because he is just a little man despite his girth and size. He's a little man inside, and he knows that. That, too, is now what leadership looks like. The President of the United States raising conspiracy theories about a dead woman, though her family's begging Twitter to take them down. As vile as the falsehoods are and as distracting as they are from the true facts at hand, the President always seems to have time for more. Which is precisely what every expert on public health and public policy agrees is the opposite of what's called for. Telling the truth, they say, is vital to defeating a pandemic. Telling the truth saves lives right now. Today, the president also found time to spread falsehoods about mail in voting. Of course, there's no need to read the tweet out loud. The allegations are not true. Up on the screen, you can see the blue label at the bottom. It's small. That's what Twitter does, that's their big fact check. Put there by Twitter, it says, get the facts, and then you can press on the link to find the facts. You won't find the facts in the president's statements. I mean, Twitter is now acknowledging you won't find facts in the president's statements. That's where we are. In the midst of a pandemic, this is what we're talking about. This is what the president is talking about every single day. Man, it starts, you know, you, you think it's normal. Like, you start to think this is just normal. It's not. Man, we are in trouble. More on this from CNN Chief White House Correspondent Jim Acosta, who joins us now. Jim, how are the president and his team, I mean, I know how they're responding to the move by Twitter, of course. They're going to use this. They're going to fundraise off this. They're trying to silence him. What are they saying today?
3: Anderson, none of this is normal. The president has been lying on Twitter for many years now, and now Twitter is starting to do something about it. As you were just saying a few moments ago, uh, there is no evidence that mail-in balloting leads to voter fraud, widespread voter fraud. Uh, but the president is tweeting about it anyway. Twitter is just starting to do something about it. Uh, by the way, we should point out, Twitter is not adding uh, get-the-facts uh, icons at the bottom of the president's tweets about Joe Scarborough and many of his other lies that he posts on Twitter. but. Uh, moving beyond that, the president was lashing out at Twitter just a few moments ago, saying that he's not going to stand for uh, Twitter, as he describes it, interfering in the 2020 election. Uh, his campaign manager, Brad Parscale, said uh, that they uh, saw this coming, that uh, Silicon Valley would pull out all the stops to prevent the president from getting his message out. The White House press secretary, uh, Kaylee McEnany, was putting uh, out tweets just a short while ago, trying to establish a claim between mail-in balloting and widespread voter fraud when there isn't a proven connection. Uh, Anderson, this has been going on for some time now. This is one of the president's oldest lies. It goes all the way back to the 2016 campaign. He explained uh, that the reason why he lost the popular vote to Hillary Clinton was because of undocumented immigrants voting uh, in the 2016 election. We should point out, he established a voter fraud commission uh, to find widespread voter fraud. That commission produced no evidence of widespread uh, voter fraud. And so the president is going back to it. And you were just indicating this a few moments ago. Uh, essentially a social media trick uh, that he has pulled before, and he's trying to do it again. And now Twitter and other social media platforms, perhaps others will follow, are starting to do something about it. The question is whether or not the president can uh, really do anything about this at this point. He's threatening to do something about it, but that's all we have uh, tonight from the president, an empty threat that he'll do something about it. But Anderson, we should point out, this is, and, and you and I both know this, this is a problem going on with this president and this administration for four years now. Not only does the president have a problem with telling the truth, he has a problem with accepting the truth. And all the studies have shown on this subject, there is no widespread voter fraud in the U.S. and there's no proven link between mail-in balloting and voter fraud. Republican-led
1: states uh, have been doing
3: it for years. Anderson.
1: Jim, is Melania Trump still running a campaign telling children, you know, online to be best? I mean, is that still, like, officially her thing? Because... The irony of that is just, you know, it just comes to mind such a strange thing uh, that that's the, the slogan coming out of her part of the White House when, I mean, if the, is, is the, you know, obvi- it's an obvious you know, hypocrisy, but I mean, the, the, yeah. it's just a sad irony. I mean, the idea that it, is this really the best or is this us at our best? Yeah,
3: Anderson, and they were celebrating the First Lady's Be Best campaign the other day. I think the, the simple way to break it down is that perhaps over in the East Wing of the White House, they want the United States to be best. Uh, but the president, if you judge by his tweets, uh, it is very much uh, be worst over in the West Wings, especially when he's tweeting about uh, television hosts uh, having something to do with the deaths of, of a young staffer many years ago, when there's absolutely no evidence of it. And I think what is remarkable about what Twitter has done tonight, Anderson, it, it has laid down a marker. And I, I suspect this is not the first tweet that will be fact-checked by Twitter uh, in the weeks to come. Uh, what's going to be really interesting to see how, how the president responds to it, because he has been using Twitter uh, as a dumping ground, as you know, Anderson, for his lies and conspiracy theories for years now.
1: Anderson? Yeah. Jim Costa. Jim, thanks very much. As for how the president is specifically addressing the reality of 100,000 American lives lost on his watch, he tweeted, in so many words, could have been worse. Quoting now, for all of the political hacks out there, if I hadn't done my job well and early, we would have lost one and a half to two million people, as opposed to the 100,000 plus that looks like will be the number. The number. That's 15 to 20 times more than we will lose. Perspective now from Dr. Richard Besser, former acting director of the CDC and currently president and CEO of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Also with us, CNN chief political correspondent, Dana Bash. So, Dana, we're nearly, we're nearing 100,000 deaths in this country, and the president is basically saying that if it weren't for him, the number would be much worse. Um, true, if, if it wasn't for social distancing, if it wasn't for people wearing masks, if it wasn't for people staying at home uh, under the orders of governors around the country, uh, yes, it would be much worse. That doesn't mean you've done a good job.
5: Not at all. Uh, but this is a president who uh, doesn't really tend to dwell in facts like that, especially when he is trying to make a point and make a case that he uh, wants to stick. And this is how he succeeded in business. And you and I have talked about this a lot more lately, even than we have uh, in the first three years of his presidency. But he's, e- he's doing that even more now, Anderson, because he's trying to right. will people to look at him as a leader somebody who did well during this pandemic and he thinks that if he says it enough it will make it true enough for people to believe but that yeah. doesn't make it I true. mean honestly it it's like it the,
1: uh, yeah, I mean, right he he may have succeeded financially with casinos in atlantic city mm-hmm. i can tell you there's a lot of people in atlantic city who once held jobs in those casinos and then once uh, the, they all declare bankruptcy, yeah. uh, he, they're not particularly fans of his. So he may do well, uh, but it doesn't mean that everybody else is doing well because of him.
5: No, absolutely. Look, he's, he's desperate for uh, some s- silver lining uh, in this politically for himself. As the pandemic began to hit, he was telling anybody who would listen to him in conversations that he had, according to people I talked to who were... Uh, familiar with those conversations, that he couldn't believe that this pandemic was happening to him. He said, I can't believe this is happening to me. The economy is going so great. Everything is going so great. Everything was lined up so well for me to win re-election. But look at what's happening to me. That is the mindset that has continued throughout this, even as he has had to make um, you know, tough decisions along with the governors who really were on the front lines of this to change society yeah. dramatically so that the economy, uh, unfortunately, has done very poorly to save lives.
1: Dr. Besser, just from a, a public health standpoint, um, the, the, f- the idea that the president has essentially now made wearing a mask the dividing line between his supporters and, and those who oppose him, between being politically correct and being, uh, you know, uh, a tough person. Um, just from a scientific standpoint, from a public health standpoint, that just seems an extraordinarily dangerous thing to be playing with as, as the leader of the country, given what lies ahead in this pandemic.
9: Yeah. You know, Anderson, when I ran emergency preparedness and response at the CDC, uh, we did everything possible to to try and ensure that the response didn't become political, that it wasn't partisan, that we were working with both sides of the aisle to ensure that whatever response went forward was, was united. It was the time that the nation came together. Uh, public health science isn't about politics. It's about what does the evidence say? And you know, what, what gives me strength is when I see governors out talking about what people in their states should do, governors from both sides of the aisle, and, and they're standing there with their public health leaders, and they're letting their public health leaders speak, and they're nodding along, agreeing with the science, agreeing with the recommendations that if you're going out, you should wear a mask to protect others, uh, that that's a good thing to do, that that's an American thing to do, that that's what we do to protect the elderly, and, and those with underlying medical conditions. Uh, and it, it should make you feel good that you're doing this for the others in your community. Mm.
1: Dan, you interviewed Vice President Biden today. He responded to the president retweeting that photo of him wearing a mask. What, what did he say about that?
5: Well, it was interesting, Anderson. Before I even got a chance to ask about the masks, uh, I was talking to him more broadly about the fact that he he left his house for the first time in more than two months yesterday. He brought up the mask. I followed up here's what happened. You mentioned the mask, that you wore a mask yesterday. President Trump went to a Memorial Day service. He did not wear a mask. Um, It's not just some people making fun of you. He did. He did on Twitter. He retweeted a photo of you wearing it. He's trying to belittle you for wearing a mask, um, making it seem like it's a sign of weakness. Is it?
10: He's a fool, an absolute fool to talk that way. I mean, every leading doc in the world is saying we should wear a mask when you're in a crowd. And especially when you know you're going to be in a position where you're going to inadvertently get closer than 12 feet to somebody. I know we're 12 feet apart. I get that. But um, it's just absolutely uh, this this macho stuff for for a guy. I shouldn't get going, but it it, it just is. It's cost people's lives. It's costing people's lives. And well, like I said, we're almost 100,000 dead today, 100,000 people. Columbia studies showing that we could have, if you just started a, a week earlier, would have saved thousands of lives. I mean, these are, these. this is a tragedy.
5: But wearing a mask has become a cultural and political flashpoint. And the president is involved in that, even stoking that.
10: Sure he is, and look, it, look he's, and he's stoking deaths. It's not going to increase the likelihood that people are going to be better off. So do you off.
5: think wearing a mask projects strength or weakness?
10: Leadership. What it presents and projects is leadership. Presidents are supposed to lead, not engage in folly and be falsely masculine. It reminds me of the guys that I grew up with playing ball. They'd walk around with a ball in their hand, but they didn't like to hit very much
5: questioning his masculinity, Uh, you know, sure we're going to hear a response to that. But he is so eager, obviously, to uh, have this contrast with President Trump talking about masks, saying its leadership. Anderson, tonight he even, the vice president, even changed his Twitter profile picture to the one of him wearing a mask.
1: Hmm. And so we're, like, Brit Hume, you know, Tweeted this out uh, and you know said the, the, the president you know doesn't want to look ridiculous. I mean, you know what would make the president look ridiculous? A, a, a ventilator and a feeding tube. And, you know that doesn't look so great either. And uh, you know that's not something anybody wants to see and anybody wants to have happen. Um, but he is the president of the United States and leadership matters. Uh, it just, it's just so strange to me, Dr. Besser, this time that we're in. That um, I mean that that this administration is undercutting their own message on the pandemic for, politi- I mean, for political reasons. It's the only thing, it's the only explanation for what the president is doing.
9: You know, as we look at the way forward here, you know, we can talk about what would have happened if we'd taken action sooner. Uh, but I think it's much more important to focus on what will happen if we don't follow the public health way forward. And the, the spikes that the World Health Organization talks about uh, occurring. That's preventable. That's preventable. If we follow that roadmap, Uh, it's not asking a lot of people to say, when you go out, you wear a mask, you keep six feet apart, you wash your hands frequently. It's it's the way we protect those essential workers and non-essential workers, people who who have to go back to work to put food on the table. You know, when we we think about the disparate impact, here, uh, what can we do to reduce that? And it's following public health recommendations and being proud that you're doing so.
1: Yeah. Dr. Bester, I appreciate it. Dana Bash as well. Coming up next, looking uh, closer at where the country stands as state after state opens further. Also, Dr. Bester spoke about both sides of the aisle later tonight. We're joined by the Republican governor of Ohio. And we'll talk about the importance, as he sees it, wearing a mask.
10: Symptoms of overactive bladder or OAB may be bothersome. As many as 46 million Americans, 40 years of age or older, have reported symptoms of OAB. I got to the point where I was constantly
5: having to plan my outings around being able to go to the bathroom. It felt like my bladder was calling the shots. Many people like her decided enough was enough.
10: It was time to talk to a doctor. We spoke to a few of them to hear their stories in their own words. Listen in at OABmed.com and hear how they discovered Mirbetric Mirabegron
2: Mirbetric is a prescription medicine for adults used to treat OAB symptoms of urgency, frequency, and leakage. Do not take if you have a known allergic reaction to Mirbetric or its ingredients. Myrbetric may increase blood pressure. Tell your doctor right away if you have trouble emptying your bladder or have a weak urine stream. Myrbetric may cause serious allergic reactions like swelling of the face, lips, throat, or tongue, or trouble breathing. If experienced, stop taking and tell your doctor right away. Myrbetric may interact with other medicines. Tell your doctor if you are taking thioridazine, melaril and melaril S, flecainide, tambicore, propafenone, rhythmalt, digoxin, linoxin, or solifenicin, succinate, vesicare. Tell your doctor if you have liver or kidney problems. Common side effects include increased blood pressure, common cold or flu symptoms, sinus irritation, dry mouth, urinary tract infection, bladder inflammation, back or joint pain, constipation, dizziness and headache. See our ad in Reader's Digest magazine or call 1-855-697-2387.
10: Hear real stories about how Mirbetric can help OAB symptoms at OABmed.com and ask your doctor if it could help you. That's OABmed.com.
1: talked about the politics, the presidential behavior surrounding the outbreak tonight. We want to look closer right now at the public health facts on the ground as states reopen. Officials make tough choices and in some places hospitals continue to cope with the strain. Take, uh, take a look now from CNET's Nick Watt.
0: We're nearing 100,000 dead and we're reopening. While the rate of new cases still climbs in 17 states, including California.
4: We are uh, walking into the unknown, the untested,
0: literally and figuratively, and we have to be guided by the data. Among the 20 states seeing new case numbers fall, New York. Some traders today back on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. It's been more than two months. It's a great sign, it's a great symbol
2: of our economy getting back in motion.
0: Mandatory masks and everyone must sign a waiver stating they know the risks.
2: They wanted to get back
10: to business, but they wanted to be smart, and they're doing it in a way that keeps people safe.
0: Long Island starts to reopen tomorrow. New Rochelle, that early New York hotspot, starts today. I think the people of New Rochelle take special satisfaction in reaching this milestone, and we are
4: cautiously optimistic. (laughs)
0: Will there be a fallout from that now infamous Memorial Day party in the Ozarks? Well, we'll find out in a week or two.
9: The responsible thing to do now is to self-quarantine. Don't put others at risk. Don't put your loved ones at risk. And uh, make better decisions moving forward.
0: Neighboring Arkansas a month after reopening began, now suffering a sharp spike in cases.
5: I could get killed by COVID today or I could get hit by a bus or a car tomorrow.
0: Meanwhile, in Vernon, California, more than 150 workers at this meat processing plant have tested positive outbreaks reported at eight other facilities in the city. The union wants the plant closed for cleaning.
2: The spikes keep coming and it's sort of like Amity Island. There's an invisible, insidious, deadly shark out there and it's time to get people out of the water to figure out what's going on.
0: CDC numbers show nearly 80% of COVID deaths are among the 65 and older, but interestingly, nearly 80% of cases are in the under 65s. A tenth potential vaccine is now moving into human trials, and today Merck announced it's also entering the race, but an effective vaccine is still far from guaranteed. And today, some bad news on the antibody tests. Here was the hope, that if you had COVID and recovered, you would produce antibodies, you'd be immune, and you could go back to work. First issue, we don't yet know for sure that if you've had it and recovered, you are immune. And now, the CDC is saying that those antibody tests are wrong maybe half of the time. They are nowhere near good enough to be sending anyone back to school or back to work. They are not good enough to be making any policy decisions. Anderson?
1: Yeah, that's a blow. That's, uh, that's really um, upsetting. Nick Watt, I appreciate it. Thanks, though. Um, it's good to know the facts, though. Joining us now, Chris Murray, director of the University of Washington's Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation. Also, Michael Osterholm, director of the University of Minnesota Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy. Also, CNN's chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Dr. Murray, your newest forecast showing numbers trending downward Uh, Can you explain what you've been finding?
6: Yes, our uh, release from today, we're forecasting through to early August 132,000 deaths. That's down. That's a real surprise to us. And again, it's reflecting that the scale up of mobility that started late April, ran all the way through May, took off over the weekend uh, has not yet translated into big numbers. And so the data are suggesting that our forecasts were a bit high. And so we're coming at 132,000 deaths now, but there are some states that look pretty troublesome
1: uh, in the near term. When you say they look pretty troublesome in the near term, what do you mean?
6: Well, Alabama, Louisiana, Florida, the Carolinas and Arizona The trend up in cases has been there, but it's also turning into a a tick up in deaths. And, you know, people sometimes argue that uptrends in cases are due to more testing, but that's not gonna explain a rise in deaths. And so we're expecting, we're certainly gonna watch those states really closely. And those are uh, top of our concern list for what may happen in the next week or two.
1: Michael, you know, when you see videos of, you know, like the party in the Ozarks in in the uh, in that pool, uh, obviously, those are very alarming things to look at. Um, You know, again, you one could say, well, that's just one group of people. Uh, Maybe it's not representative of what's happening elsewhere. How do you see where we are right now?
4: Well, I think one of the challenges we have is helping people understand that when they protect themselves, they're not only just protecting themselves, they're also protecting others. This has been a real challenge to get them to see that, that basically, you know, if I drive too fast and I go off the road, it's my issue. If I smoke, it's my issue. But here we're actually seeing that they can transmit the virus to others. And also what is happening is in our healthcare facilities around the country, that they're overtaxed right now in the intensive care units in a number of locations. And they pose a real risk to transmitting that virus inside that hospital if we don't have adequate protective equipment. So we have to be mindful and actually keep hitting home the message, you're not just doing this for yourself, but you're also doing it so you protect others.
1: Hmm. Sanjay, I mean, it, you, know, you heard the person in, in, uh, in Nick Watt's piece saying, well, you know, look, I could get hit by a car tomorrow or I could get covid Um, Obviously, the difference is, you know, if you get hit by a car tomorrow, you're probably not going to be taking out a lot of other people with you. Whereas if you get COVID, you very possibly could be uh, infecting an awful lot of people and some of them could could die.
8: Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, forced, I think, people to to reevaluate risk in in a different way. I mean, as Michael Osterholm said, the, the idea that it's just my risk is 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 not the case. I think the, the good news is, and maybe this is uh, part of what's being reflected in Kirk, Chris Murray's models as well, is that I do think, uh, you know, a significant percentage of the country sort of sort of does get that. I mean, obviously there's these just crazy scenarios that we see in places like the Ozarks. We saw some of that in other places in Houston. Here in Georgia, uh, you know, more than a dozen students at one high school have tested positive after uh, from what we hear a graduation party so you're going to hear about those situations but it does seem even as I go around uh, here in in Georgia you know people are out and about it's open so to speak but uh, you're starting to get the sense it's not a bifurcated thing either you're open or you're shut Uh, people are open but you know there are people who are maintaining physical distance wearing masks and I think we're getting better evidence uh, than even before that 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 does make a difference it you know we thought it would but it seems like it's it's making maybe even a bigger difference than we realized
1: yeah. Dr. Murray, I mean there are some who, who look at you know the models and say well The data changes so often should anyone take any real stock in them that you know a week from now or two weeks from now You might find because you put in other data um, You know and obviously things change in, in a situation like this, but but they might go up they might go down after a while, people start to kind of discount the whole idea of the model. What do you say to that?
6: Well, I say that I think the trajectory of what's going to happen with uh, the pandemic in each state is really very much in the hands of the people in those states. It's, you know, we now have really clear evidence that wearing masks works. It's probably... 50% 50% protection uh, against transmission. We know that social distancing works. We see that in the statistics as well. That those places that uh, you know where have been wearing masks that seems to decrease transmission at the community level as well. And so it you know what happens in the next month or two is very much in the hands of of how people respond. Particularly as the weather gets warmer, they're they're getting sick of quarantine. They want to get out. It's now this critical period that's going to determine uh, the course in each state. So, of course, we're gonna get some surprises. The, the data are gonna come in and say that some people are more cautious in some states. You know, up in the, up in the Northeast that have had the big epidemics, the this, this survey data show that people are much more likely to be wearing a mask all the time because they've seen how bad it can be. And I think the real risk is in the places that have been spared the big epidemics may not understand how how serious the risk is and then they're going to end up with a lot of transmission.
1: Michael, I, you know, I talked to a professor last night who um, kind of you know, I, I don't know if cold, throwing cold water on is the right way to describe it, but but raised a lot of concerns about the likelihood of actually getting a vaccine in you know 12 to 18 months, which is the figure that's been thrown around since. Uh, you know since back in in February, I guess um, I'm wondering I mean is it and and a lot of the points you made seemed very rational given the history the difficulty of getting a vaccine. he uh, said a lot of money is being thrown at 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 companies that don't necessarily uh, have a track record of uh, on on vaccines um, and that you know the there's a low likelihood that there will be a workable vaccine uh, that's you know, effective and available uh, in that kind of time frame? Well, you you, know, I think you you just- Are you you gung-ho on the the idea that there will be a vaccine in that timeline?
4: Well, I think you just laid out a whole number of issues when you talk about a workable vaccine. It's how soon could a vaccine be available, how much of it could be available, how well will it work? What if it only just reduces the severity of illness and doesn't actually prevent infection? We know that in some of the monkey studies that were recently done with vaccines, it didn't prevent them from getting infected. It just prevented them from getting sick. We have a number of questions yet to ask. So uh, as I've said to you before, you know, we hope we're going to have an effective vaccine available for everybody, but hope's not a strategy. So I think it really is a serious question. This is why we have to keep considering the fact that in this country, about 5% to 7% of the population has been infected to date. This virus Mm -hmm. is not going to slow down its transmission until it gets to the 60 or 70% level, and then it just slows down. It doesn't stop. So yeah, we have to be prepared for a world where vaccine may not be what we all hope it will be. And number two is this whole idea of coming out now is just a start. This is the second inning of a nine-inning game, and we have to understand that.
1: Yeah. Michael Osterholm, Chris Murray, uh, Sanjay, uh, as always, thank you very much. Just ahead, given all the video you've been seeing, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine joins us. How to get people to take their safety seriously and the safety of their loved ones and the people around us and strangers that they don't know, fellow citizens. We'll Also have a talk about the president's role in that. We'll be right back. Tonight we've been talking about the difficulties of reopening with deaths still rising and infections a threat and how we've already seen this past Memorial Day weekend examples of people who fail to heed guidance about social distancing and wearing masks. Our Gary Tuckman was in Alabama this weekend, and one beachgoer explained to him why he doesn't wear a mask, because the president doesn't.
10: I mean, if he's not wearing a mask, I'm not going to wear a mask. If he's not worried, I'm not worried. The president. Yes, sir.
1: Uh, governor Mike DeWine, governor of Ohio, where deaths just crossed the 2,000 mark. Governor, thanks for being with us. I, I know how busy you are. Um, you've been a vocal proponent for, for wearing masks. Uh, It's something you tried to enforce and and had to kind of uh, back off it and leave it up to to people's good sense of judgment and and care for their their fellow citizens. Um, When you hear that young man say he's not wearing a mask because the president isn't wearing a mask, uh, obviously the president, all the people around the president are wearing masks, so he's not wearing a mask, uh, you know, because I guess he feels he doesn't have to. Um, What do you say to people in your state to try to get them to wear masks?
7: Well, I say that they should wear masks. And and first of all, Anderson, one of the things that I think that we have going for us this past weekend was the first weekend uh, that our restaurants were open inside and that our bars were open inside. And I got some very good reports back. Sure, there was a few outliers, uh, but by and large, uh, very good. And everybody who works in a in any business, retail or manufacturing in Ohio today is is wearing a mask um what we're urging people to do is when they're out in public with other people when they go into a store we're urging them to to wear a mask and kind of the way I explained it today was that look this is about um, loving your fellow human being uh you know this is it's, it's, the instruction as old as the, is as the Bible uh you know you're supposed to love your fellow man and, and woman. And that's what we're really doing. And I think that's the message, that you're not wearing it so much for yourself uh, as you are wearing it for that person that you're going to come in contact with. And that uh, and I think the thing that, that the, the science, part of the science behind this is, we have so many people we found who are walking around. They have absolutely no symptoms. They don't have a clue. They have this. But they do, in fact, have it, and that's that's why it's so important. I think that we just assume yeah. that that person we're coming in contact with that they have it, and they should assume we have it. And if we both wear the mask, that gives us some added protection. You know, in addition, in addition to that six eight feet distancing.
1: You you've talked about this yourself that that wearing a mask is not about politics; it's about protecting people. And I think that's such an important point. The idea that. Now, this line is kind of being drawn between wearing a mask as somehow, you know, oh, you're giving into political correctness as opposed to caring about the health of your fellow human beings and your fellow citizens and, and you know, your fellow countrymen and women. Um, but the idea that it's now politicized, the act of wearing a mask is politicized somehow just from I mean, just from a, a rational public health standpoint, that is, it just seems such a dangerous thing in the midst of a of a pandemic.
7: We had two doctors today at my press conference. They came in by Skype, and both of them had had the coronavirus. Uh, the one very, very seriously in the hospital for I think well over a month. Uh, just horrible. And and I'll paraphrase what he said. Uh, but he talked about uh, you know what he went through uh, and what they did to him to help him breathe. And he says, you know, if you think wearing a mask is 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 something that's bad, he says, you ought to try what I went through. He says, wearing a mask is nothing. Uh, and I thought that was, you know, pretty apt. And here's a man who went through it. His wife went through it. Uh, they suffered through this. It was just horrible. If you listened to him, and so I think that's an important thing for us to remember. And and I think the other thing I took away, and we should take away from his what he said today at our press conference. Uh, is we're approaching a, a huge number, a number of Americans who, who have died. And that's just absolutely gut-wrenching and, and horrible. But in addition to that, we have a lot of Americans who suffered uh, like this doctor did, uh, who went literally through hell. And so when we look at numbers and sometimes we say, well, you only you know, you're probably going to be fine unless you're old. This doctor was not old. He uh, looked you know, middle-aged yeah. to me. He was very active. He did everything right, and he got deathly sick and went through hell for a couple of months.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, it's. I mean, if you care about doctors, if you care about nurses, if you care about first responders, firefighters, or EMTs, or police officers who may have to deal with you if you get sick, um, you just wear a mask. It, it just seems like if you if you care about first responders, that just seems like a simple thing you can do for them. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine, I appreciate your time tonight. Uh, Thanks, I, Anderson. Uh, I know Thank how busy you. You are. Thank you. Up next, our Randy Kay explains the worries about so-called super spreader events. We'll be right back.
2: Think about your home for a moment. It's where life happens. It's where you build that treehouse or try that new recipe. It's where you rest and recharge, work and play. You expect a lot out of it. And that's why HomeAdvisor is committed to keeping your home up and running, no matter what. They match you with the best pros in your area. Pros who can get your home projects done Right. From unexpected jobs like appliance repairs, clogged gutters, and leaky faucets, to projects you actually look forward to, like creating your very own backyard summer retreat or getting that new pool installed. Whatever it is, they're here to help. And the Home Advisor app makes it easy. Use it to book and pay for more than a hundred projects with just a few taps. Plus, if you're looking for some local inspiration, you can see trending tasks in your neighborhood. So whether you need a last-minute fix, routine home maintenance, or an exciting new upgrade, HomeAdvisor is here, ready to do everything to fix your everything. Download the HomeAdvisor app and get started today.
1: On Sunday, a key member of his coronavirus task force, Dr. Deborah Burke, said that she worried that events where large numbers of people gather risk what are called super spreader events, where one or more infected persons spreads the virus to many others. Randy Kay has more on that.
11: In March, this choir gathered for a rehearsal in Mount Vernon, Washington, outside Seattle. The coronavirus had been spreading through the state for nearly two months at this point. The CDC says choir singers were just inches apart during a -a two-and-a-half-hour rehearsal. They shared snacks, too. No one in the group showed any symptoms of the virus, but by the time it was over, it had become a super-spreader event. Fifty-three of the 61 attendees were infected. Three were hospitalized. Two later died. It's really shocking how contagious it is. In Boston, the annual leadership meeting for drug maker Biogen also became a hotbed for the virus. Those infected went home to families and friends in at least six states. The Massachusetts Department of Public Health estimated 99 people got sick at this super spreader event, including employees and others.
2: It's very difficult to be able to trace uh, steps that that they've come in contact with.
11: Overall, super-spreader events mostly occur when people are in close contact indoors, often with poor ventilation, like religious services or nightclubs. These scenarios usually involve people from different households. In Westchester County, it was a bat mitzvah at a synagogue. After an attorney had attended the event in February, New York State suddenly had more than 100 cases, with most of them linked to that attorney. Those included his wife and children and his rabbi.
10: It took off like fire through dry grass.
11: In Albany, Georgia, it was a funeral with more than 200 mourners. Someone carrying the virus came to pay respects. And The New York Times reports two dozen of the dead man's relatives got sick from the funeral, including six siblings. A few weeks later, hospitals were overwhelmed, running out of protective gear and ICU beds.
4: 2 the first day, it was 6 the next day, it was 8 the next day, and it just began to cascade from that point.
11: The county coroner told The New York Times, quote, it hit like a bomb. In Chicago, a funeral and a birthday party, both super-spreader events. The CDC says someone who attended the funeral, which lasted about two hours and included a shared potluck meal, was carrying the virus. Soon after the funeral, that same infected person attended a birthday party. By the time it was over, the virus was passed to seven others at the party. A few of those partygoers went on to attend a church service where the CDC says the virus infected someone else sitting in the same pew who passed the offering plate. In all, 16 people got sick from the events and three died. And it's not just in the United States. In Seoul, South Korea, more than 100 coronavirus cases are being linked to a nightclub cluster, and the 29-year-old man believed to be at the center of it. The man tested positive for COVID-19 just days after visiting several clubs. Officials in Seoul have now shut down all bars and nightclubs indefinitely. Randy Kay, CNN, West Palm Beach, Florida.
1: Up next, we continue to remember those who've lost their lives. We'll be right back. Tonight, as the death toll in the U.S. is nearing 100,000 people, we remember and honor some of the lives lost so far. Bob Glanzer was a state representative from South Dakota. He served two terms in the South Dakota House of Representatives after a career in banking. His son said that his dad wanted to go into politics because he loved his state so much and he wanted to serve the people of South Dakota, and he did that. He was an anchor of his community and his church. Bob Glanzer was 74 years old. Yasmin Pena is one of the younger victims of this coronavirus. She was in 12th grade at the Waterbury Arts Magnet School in Connecticut. Yasmin was involved in theater and the performing arts. She was popular with students and teachers. They say she was the kind of girl who always had a smile on her face and was always laughing. She wanted to go on to become a fashion designer and study theater. Her family called her their ray of sunshine, and they say their home is now dark without her. Yasmin Pena was 18 years old. The news continues right now. I want to hand over to Chris for Cuomo Prime Time.